This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Guess what I'm going to do today with our vacation day? What? I am finally going to see Top Gun Maverick. Oh, good. <laughs> he can finally discuss it. I've been waiting to talk to you about it. Do you agree that it's like the perfect sequel? Okay, well, um, I will have an opinion on that by tonight. Okay, call me. Okay. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Ojai, right outside of LA. And with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to talk to talented TV writer Nicole Levy about her book, The Writer's Room Survival Guide. I so wish we'd had this book when we started. It's essential for anyone who's breaking into television. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Okay, so next in Take a Hike, I'll talk about how Liz's Christmas gifts to me are helping me get back on track. And finally, this week's Hollywood hack is a must-have for anyone enduring this heat wave. But first, Sarah, we have an update. We are officially done with season two of Fantasy Island. We've, we've said many times we were done, but oh, but we're still doing this and that and the other thing. Now we are done. We had our final playback for episode 13 the other day. For anyone who doesn't know, playback is when we watch the episode with the sound people, music people, executives, and listen for any sound issues and adjust, tweak, little tweaks. Yes. And also you review the color timing, make sure everything looks the way you want it to look. Yes. It's the final final and we're done. We have nothing to do for Fantasy Island except wait for that season three pickup, which, you know... (laughs) I'm counting on. Yes. No, the funny thing is, though, we say we're done done. But because it's Fantasy Island, we still have like a couple scenes where we need to like make sure the ADR is right. And there are some visual effects we need to well, review. I'm not so counting this, it, this will still be going on for a couple of weeks, but in like tiny little dribbles. No, I, I don't count that. Those are like nothing. <laughs> we To me, that was the last thing on the calendar. Let's put it that way. So, Sarah, I have been spending an inordinate amount of time just sitting on the sofa in my office, listening to podcasts and playing two dots on my phone and not even feeling guilty about it. And it has been glorious. Having that mental load lifted, even though we weren't doing a lot. It's just not the same as having nothing on the calendar for Fantasy Island. That is so true. Although I also feel like we're like heading into something. So it's like I'm not quite as relaxed as I would be 
if it was just like nothing on the horizon. So I'm, it's like that weird space. But I'm still like, you know, I'm not like super focused on that. I've been getting Violet all set up for fourth grade. I have to say I have not watched Bad Sisters yet, which I cannot believe because I'm dying yes. to watch it. But that's like first on my agenda this week. What I will say on the relaxation front is I think I can relax more because I think we're heading into something. If we weren't yes. heading into something, that's when I would start stressing about what are we going to do. True. So uh, to me, that helps me relax. Okay, Sarah, it is time for From the Treadmill Desk Sub, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's a book, The Writer's Room Survival Guide by Nicole Levy. After growing up near China Lake Naval Weapons Center in the middle of the Mojave Desert, Nicole escaped to the bright lights of Los Angeles. She worked as a police dispatcher to pay her way through USC undergrad and graduate school, an alum of the CBS Writers Mentoring Program, NBC's Writers on the Verge, and the WGA Showrunner Training Program, Nicole has written on Ironside, Allegiance, The Mysteries of Laura, Shades of Blue, Cloak and Dagger, SWAT, and more. She also co-wrote a feature, The Banker, available on Apple TV, and is now writing Spark, a film inspired by the life of Claudette Colvin. Nicole is currently a co-executive producer on an untitled Netflix series and has several TV and feature projects in development. And her first book, which we love and are going to talk about, The Writer's Room Survival Guide, will be released in October. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you both so much for having me. It's great to be here. So for years, we have said there's no manual for being a TV writer, but now there is because you wrote it and we love it so much. First of all, it has a glossary. We always talk about TV lingo and you have done such a great job of assembling so much of it in one place. <laughs> yes. But we are so excited for your book. Thank you. It was a lot of fun writing it. I was I was very nervous at first, but then once I got going, it was like, oh, there's a lot to talk about here. There's yes. a lot. <laughs> and you yeah. know so much that you don't even realize you know until you start talking about it, which we discovered doing this podcast. Now, before we get into this, your book is it's very much geared towards staff writers, like people who are right. learning the room. So I just, for our listeners, want to explain that a staff writer is the lowest level of writers on the hierarchy of writers in the room. I know we've said that before, but in case anyone's forgotten, because Sarah and I, when we started out, we didn't know that. And when they told us we were the only staff writers, we thought we were the only writers on the show. That's how green we oh were. Oh my gosh. So I always like to point out to people that that's what a staff writer is. Yes, important, important. I honestly, I'd have probably thought the same thing before the CBS program. Yeah. I'd have had no idea what that meant. So my first question is, when you were a staff writer, did you feel prepared for the experience? I felt prepared in some ways in that I understood what the process was going to be. I had been, because I had been through one of the network writing programs too, actually, by the time I did that, I understood how the hierarchy worked. People had explained all that to me. I had the experience of my first writer's room being a show that didn't actually have a writer's room. So what I ended up doing was applying a lot of the same things I had been taught, right? Because being in that room as a staff writer is so much about connecting with people, trying to get to know people, build relationships on top of the writing work. 
And so I just started making it a point every day. I'd go by everyone's office and be like, hey, good morning. How was like hanging out with your kids? You need any help today? And sort of started to build relationships that way because I wasn't sitting around a table all day. And we should explain some shows, like for instance, Law and Order shows, don't have a room. Writers kind of work on their own episodes independently and then confer with the co-EPs and the showrunner on the side. But most shows do have a writer's room. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the same principles apply, even though you don't, because you're still having to pitch a thing, see if it gets beat, be a team player, you know, help other people solve problems. It's all the same muscle building. It's just you're not sitting all day around a table with with the group of people. Yes. So we love how specific and concrete the book is. It really is a survival guide. So what do you think a staff writer should do before the job even starts, obviously, besides read your book, right. which everyone should do? Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the main pieces of advice I passed on is something that I did, which is when you get your start email, right? When you're getting the, hey, everybody, this is our first day. This is where we're going to be, you know, if you're in person or on Zoom or whatever. All the other writers are copied on that email. Yes. Look up the other writers that you're going to be working with. Like, you'd just be amazed how I, so on my first show, which was Ironside, Mark Rossner, who was one of our co-EPs, had written The Rock, which I love like a crazy person. And David Schulner had worked on Once and Again, which is like one of my all-time oh, favorite. Same. same. We did a Once and Again spec back in the day. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I immediately had those things to talk about with them, right? Like. My showrunner, Ken Sanzel, was a former cop, and yes. I had worked in law enforcement. So we already had, like, common ground. But you're trying to build common ground with everybody else. And it's just a good way to be – or you can find out that someone on the show worked with someone else you know. And then you can be like, hey, how is so-and-so to work with? Are they cool? You know, and sort of get a read on what that other person's like. It's such good advice. And it goes with like Sarah and I always say, if you're a lower level writer and there's a TV show that the showrunner is passionate about or everyone's talking about it, watch it. Be a, that's such a, it's so nice to be able to talk about other things. And then it makes it easier to talk about story. Like if you connect yes. outside of the room, it's easier to connect inside the room. Yes. So, Nicole, you point out there are many kinds of showrunners. What is your advice to lower level writers about how to deal with a difficult showrunner? Yeah, it's it, and again, for clarity's sake, difficult showrunner and tyrannical showrunner are kind of two different things. You can have a difficult showrunner who is not a monster and isn't abusive to people, but who makes it difficult to get the work done. And I I will say to people, part of that is hopefully you've, you've started to get a read on the people in your room. Hopefully there's someone at the upper level who's like, oh, this is a train wreck and is already <laughs> thinking about how to help get everybody else through. Sometimes people are just out for themselves and trying to get through it. And you may not have that person to sort of marshal the forces and be like, y'all, I get it. This is a mess. Here's what we're going to do to get through it. And so I think if you don't have that immediately in your room, that's part of the building your network. As much as we all hate that phrase, like you go to a writer, you know, outside the room, who's an upper level writer and you say, this is happening. I don't know what to do. And they will give you advice 
for how you can get through it. Because as a staff writer, you're not fixing the room. You're not solving the problem. Right. It's just not happening. Your job is to survive it and keep doing your job. That is such a good point. Like uh, you're really just there to support and no one wants your solution to a big problem. (laughs) Right, right. Unless you somehow came up with the like a pitch to, you know, to fix a story problem. Yes. But in terms of the personalities in the room, like that's a lot of that's existed before you got there. If it's an ongoing show. Sometimes people have worked together before and there's a problem now, like you don't know what you're walking into as a staff writer. So um, keep your head down, try to figure out what's going on and try to find someone you can talk to about it. And, you know, we talk a lot about don't get involved in gossip and and factions and that kind of stuff. And it's true. Going to someone to say, I'm a little confused about what's happening in the room. Can you help me is not gossiping. Right. It's a right. it's looking to how to help and be a productive part of what's yeah getting the room's work done every day. Nicole, what surprised you the most about being a working writer? What surprised me the most? I It's been a while now. It's, yeah. it's been <laughs> I know. It was funny cuz when I was working on my last show and I, of course, had my usual imposter syndrome. Can I oh, yeah. am I going to be able to write this script? And it never and so goes away, right? Never goes away. (laughs) And so it was my 19th episode. I like counted and I was like, oh my God, that's a lie. That's, (laughs) Um, but I think one of the biggest surprises was honestly how much the culture in that room affects the work. Mm. I think I really didn't have an appreciation for that before I was in it. And that the rooms I've been in with the best cultures unquestionably did the best work. You know, that everyone, if the room is safe, people will share amazing stories that you can use to incorporate into your character bios and your storylines and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're in a room that doesn't feel safe, you're not doing that. Yeah. And and so having that freedom and also having people who, because I would say, I think every room Almost every room has one person who you're a little like, "Mm, I would probably not invite you back if it was up to me, but it's not up to me. (laughs) And having a group of people who can sort of not let that person take over, right? Not let that person ruin the safety of the room and are willing to sort of manage that so that people can still feel free to share and to contribute to pitch something that seems absolutely crazy but might really be the solution to the problem, mm-hmm. that's hard when you're a lower-level writer because you're so afraid that it's going to crash and burn. Oh, yeah. Well, And what do you, you know? think the biggest mistake staff writers make is? Definitely when I was coming up, I used to hear a lot about staff writers who didn't talk enough. And I think that remains a problem. I think staff writers, it's so intimidating sometimes. You're, you're just not sure when to jump in. You know, you don't want to cut anybody off, especially not somebody who's like a co-EP and all that. So it's it's hard to find your, your spot. So I always pass on the advice I got, which is try to say one thing that you think is important before lunch and one thing after. Okay. And like, you'll start to build your confidence, right? And like... 
Yes, because we that one, all right. Yes, because we say to people, if you're only pitching one thing, it's going to get shot down because 99 out of 100 things get shot down. So the more you know, you need to keep pitching so something will yes. land. And the more you say, kind of the less importance you then place on the thing you're saying, and it's kind of a numbers right. game. Not that you want to just pitch indiscriminately. You want to be saying something smart, but I think that's great advice just to start talking. I mean, I tell my son that in class, talk on the first day yeah. and then it'll always be easy to talk. But if you, the less you talk, the more difficult it becomes. I was just going to add, I will say, I think a thing I've seen change a little bit is I think now sometimes staff writers come in because, you know, some of them are wildly talented. They've written amazing pilots. Sometimes they've already like pitched a pilot to a network or whatever. And and they come in not completely clear on the, you're here to support the showrunner's vision. And I feel like that's a thing that like upper levels have to be like, sit them down and remind them. Like, I think especially because so many lower levels have never written specs, haven't gone through that process of yes. mirroring the showrunner's voice. And yeah. so that reminder of like, I, I see that your version of this scene is amazing. This is not our show. So let me help you find the lane that is our show. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's so important. And that makes the best staff writer or really writer of any level, right? I mean, we're all just trying to make this show. We're not trying to make another show. This right, is the right. one that's in front of us. And it's got a certain tone. It's got certain voices. And that's what we want to execute. I have to confess, um, Liz and I both <laughs> were like, oh, no, and very chagrined when we read the section in the book about your pet peeve, which is people putting their feet on the table. <laughs> I have always put my feet on the table every single job I've ever had from day one. Yeah, we are both guilty of this. <laughs> I have to tell you, though, I have so many writer friends who are like, but Nicole, it's so comfortable, whatever. And I'm like, I get it. I do. I understand why people do it. I just I was a germaphobe pre-pandemic. So yeah. it was like always a thing <laughs> for me. And so and I, you know, when I'm working in someone else's room, if they don't mind it, I just keep my mouth shut and I just protect my little space. I, in my rooms, I will probably ask people not to do it. But yeah, that's so funny. Um, what other things do you think people should be prepared for? Like, I'm thinking, like, be prepared to have people ignore your ideas. Be prepared to not be able to follow a conversation sometimes because it's going so fast. Are there other things writers should be prepared for? Yeah, I think you mentioned a good one, which is it's so it moves so quickly in the beginning. And and it does feel a little bit like a train's just flying past you. And you're like, I, what what did we just talk about? And so I do like give that talk to like all the lower levels on my staffs and whatever. Like it's going to feel overwhelming at first. So pay attention to what you can when you need to sort of like look down at your like notepad and just so you can regroup for a second, do it, come back up and engage. You're not going to have a fix for every problem. Be prepared for that. You're going to really want to. But some problems are not, they don't land in your sweet spot, right? Like, I'm really good at finding emotional moments and scenes when people are like, you know, yeah, like, I think, like, all the pieces are here, but, like, what's the scene about? Like, I'm really good at finding the, like, well, because this character's feeling neglected. And so that's what it's really, and like, oh, yes. If it, in the beginning, 
I was not good at like the big splashy opening mm. to an act or whatever. Like it just wasn't my thing. And so I had to accept that that's not what I was good at. And I'm much better at it now. But in the beginning, I was like, let me listen to what other people are pitching. Maybe I'll figure out how to pitch these big splashy ideas because I felt like I was never a big idea person. So I think that's a that's a big part. And just really, even though we tell you, we will tell you over and over again as upper level writers, the pacing once it gets started, if you are working in broadcast is incredibly fast like if you've if you're used to having three months to work on a script it is going to come to you as deep culture shock when you have to write a script in five days yes five days (laughs) is absolutely yeah that's kind of the average i would say yes yes like i i remember because of course you guys know sean and we had i think eight days to write a script at swat and i was like what what (laughs) That's so long. <laughs> I know, the luxury. That is a well-run show. It is yes. a well-run show. Yes, yes. But, you know, I've had to write drafts in three days. Yeah. So, and, but thankfully, because I started in broadcast, I had that training built up. So it wasn't like, oh, nightmare. I was like, okay, great. Yeah. I'll write your script in three days. Now, shifting perspective just a little from as showrunners, what do you think the number one thing is that showrunners can do to help staff writers succeed? I think in my experience, and I think especially now that we're working on bringing in more historically underrepresented writers into the room and, and you know, more gender identities and all those things coming into the room, really just saying out loud, I brought you here because I want to hear your voice. Mm. And so like contribute. I want to hear what you have to say. I think I will say from my own experience, having grown up as a woman of color and in mostly white spaces, right? I had grown up with a don't rock the boat, don't draw attention to yourself sort of mentality, because that's how my parents who had grown up in the South had been raised. And it was a lot of work for me to occupy my space as like, I have experience and stories that will help build this. And I get to speak up even though I might rock the boat. And so I think just making sure that the people who come in understand that, like, even if I'm not going to take 90% of your pitches, I want to hear what you have to say. Because then if you're working on a story that's a little tricky about someone's identity or you know, their race or anything, that writer already will understand that they have the right to be like, I'm a little concerned about this one aspect because it's their experience and they should be empowered to speak up. And I think I think for all staff writers, that's important. I think it's especially important because so many historically underrepresented writers are in that staff writer position with very little experience in the business. So I think we have to help them find their footing. It goes back to what you were saying about creating a safe space. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic advice, Sarah. We should definitely, next time we assemble a room, let's start with that and then go from there. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for writing this book, The Writer's Room Survival Guide 
truly needs to be in every writer's library. They should hand it out at USC. This <laughs> book really goes into the details. And it's it's a game changer because it just feels so like un, you're walking into the unknown often. Um, now, sometimes you've been an assistant, but even so, it's different when you're like sitting right. at the table. So thank you for writing this book. And uh, everyone should order it now. Yes, there's Thanks. so much we didn't even get yes. to talk about. It was so fun to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. Coming up, Sarah talks about how she's getting back on track with health. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, it's time for Take a Hike, in which we discuss mental, physical, and spiritual health. And today we're talking about physical health, specifically how I am trying to get back on track with my health using some gifts from you. Yes. So do tell. This goes back to Christmas. Yes. Okay. So for Christmas, Liz was like, oh, I'm going to get you these things from Gretchen's new line of products. And then I was like, oh, that's great. Okay. So of course, I didn't use them right away because that was Christmas and this is now, what, September? Yeah. <laughs> so... I've been trying to do better with just focusing on myself a little bit more. And so I broke out Gretchen's one sentence journal and also the habit tracker that you gave me for Christmas. So I've always loved one sentence journals. I think the first time I heard about them was way back in the happiness project. Yeah. And I did them then. Um, and I've sort of done them on and off, but I had fallen off the one sentence wagon. And I'm so happy to be this particular wagon is a good one. And I'm so happy <laughs> to be back on it. Um, I just love them. It's so much less pressure than like a full journal entry. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, the one sentence journal is is exactly what it sounds like. Every day you just write one sentence about the day. It could be anything. And it's very low pressure. One sentence about a day can say a lot. So can be, today yeah. was the first day of fourth grade. Done. Exactly. And it still gives me something to look back on. Like, I have yeah. my one-sentence journal from the first couple years after Violet was born. And mm. she actually likes looking oh, at it now. It's very so sweet. sweet. <laughs> okay. And then the other gift you gave me was the Don't Break the Chain Habit Tracker. And 
I have to say, I was a little skeptical of the habit tracker because it's not just check marks, mm-hmm. right? It has a section for lists, a section for notes. I was like, this, am I going to use this even? Well, yes. You Turns are. Out, okay. <laughs> totally using that. So what um, are you using it for? Okay. So the notes section I use for noting a day when I have an obstacle. Oh. I'll put like September whatever. On this date, I didn't do this because... I, you know, blah, blah, or on this date, something happened in the morning. So I'm trying to pay attention to what stops me from keeping a habit. Mm -hmm. Um, In the list section, I'm using, I'm listing the tools that I'm using to keep the habit. So for example, I'm using 10% happier a lot for my meditation habit. Oh, good. So I put like 10% happier. And then at some point, I'm sure I'll use the Insight Timer app, which I love also. For anyone who doesn't know, 10% happier is Dan Harris's podcast, and he has an app. Um, and it's a lot about meditation. And then I have to say the thing that I'm most excited about is there are a bunch of star stickers mm. at the end of the book that you can use to like record your progress and give yourself a gold <laughs> <Nice>. star. <laughs> so I'm like, I am so using the gold star stickers. So Sarah, what habits are you tracking? We haven't discussed this. So I am tracking meditation which I'm currently on my longest meditation streak ever, which is exciting. I'm tracking no gluten because I was being a little bit lazy. And also in Europe, I was just like, whatever. Croissants. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm like full on no gluten again for the rest of my life, although I'm giving myself a Europe exemption. Like if whenever I'm out of the country, I can (laughs) reevaluate Fair enough. And then walking, Mm. uh, which is the one that I'm struggling with because some days are just so, like, busy. Right. And And I'm not kind of getting out. And hot. I mean, it's so hot. So that's that's my challenging one. The other two I'm doing great on. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks to to your Christmas presents and Gretchen. So thank you. Gretchen is all about having the right tool, right? I mean, this is her whole thing. So we will link to both of these in the show notes so that you can get them. They do make great gifts. We should put them on our Christmas (laughs) list, which we have already started our Happier in Hollywood Christmas gift guide, which I'm, for some reason, very excited about this year. As you know, I keep adding (laughs) things. So we'll have these on that list as well. And of course, we'll link to both of them in the show notes at happierinhollywood.com. Yes. Okay, coming up, we have a Hollywood hack that Sarah discovered not in Hollywood, but in Europe. But first, this break. Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood hack which is neck fans. So explain this. I had never seen this product, heard of this product, but then when I saw you had used it, I was like, this is so necessary. It truly is. Okay, so we went to, Violet and I went to Europe in the middle of a well-publicized heat wave. And heat is not my favorite thing. So I was very concerned about it. And Violet actually suggested these, which she probably saw in like TikTok or something. (laughs) Um, So they're these neck fans. You put them around your neck and they blow air up at your face. Okay. So the one we got is the Calm Life Bladeless Neck Fan. And I mean, it was a lifesaver. You just like, you charge it, Mm -hmm. right? It's not batteries. You charge it. It uses the same charger as my iPad. And then you put it around your neck. 
and just go about your business. Now, the thing is, it's not subtle. Right. <laughs> Everyone was it's, like, they're the tourists with their neck yes, fans. Exactly. But it was totally fine. Violet actually looked really cute in hers. Uh-huh. I probably just looked like absolutely ridiculous. But they did attract attention. This little girl, like three-year-old, came up to Violet and she was like, what's that? You know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And then we saw this American guy when we were in Paris walked by us and he was like, oh, I have those at home. Why didn't I bring mine? Well, Sarah, this is my question about the neck fan. How much noise does it make? Can we use this on set in Puerto Rico? Yes. It does not make a lot of noise. Okay. So, I mean, unless we're like right in it, we definitely could use it at Video Village, 100%. Because that could be a game changer because in Puerto Rico, the heat is a serious issue. You and I are not used to eight hours of sitting in 90 degree weather. So that could be, you know, make our time much more pleasant. Absolutely. These are big recommendations for anyone who's on set. When it's hot. Yes. Well, that is exciting. It's good for traveling, for home, for set. I mean, everybody needs a neck fan. That's going on the Christmas list. I'm totally going to use it at home. Yeah, I'm totally going to use it at home. I will not be embarrassed. I will not be shamed. I am wearing my neck fan. Use it on when you hike. Yeah. Okay, that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please follow us if you haven't already. Thank you to our guest, Nicole Levy. Pre-order her book, The Writer's Room Survival Guide. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts. Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain, and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Good God. (laughs) Hold on. Should I do that again? Hold on. Let me do the last sentence. Thanks for listening and please follow... Jesus. (laughs) What am I going to do with them? I have to put them somewhere. Um, It's a problem. You know, I say dogs are the enemies of podcasting. It is certainly a universal truth. From the Onward Project.